Hey, what's up, Story Geeks? It's spooky season here, and with Halloween rapidly approaching, the Story Geeks podcast is getting scary. That's right. Well, at least we're going to analyze some scary movies. You know, how we do. So this is Justin on today's podcast, Megan Salinas, horror aficionado and host of the YouTube channel Silver Screams and the podcast No Love Lost, is joining us and Nick Duke, the sound engineer from Death of a Bounty Hunter, while Sandra Demas and myself dig deeper into It Chapter 2. Subscribe for free on your preferred podcast provider. And even if you're not into horror, subscribe anyway. We've got a crazy seven-week series coming up on Star Wars. For more information on the Story Geeks podcast and additional shows, please visit thestorygeeks.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our second podcast, The Story Geeks Talk Disney+. Plus. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now let's dig deeper into it. One thing that we're asking as we dig deeper into these films, what makes this story scary at its core? Let's start with you, Nick. Uh, Personalized fear. Um, Mm. Like, yeah. Do you have a secret fear? Come to Derry. Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) meet it. (laughs) It's like a circus. Yeah. (laughs) It it is to him. Um, But like, like (laughs) it is so terrifying like it doesn't even have a name it's just called it there's pennywise but that's the that's the clown persona that Mm -hmm. he favors yeah um like it represents everything that's scary to human beings and like particularly children because when you're a child it's when you have like the biggest imagination and so like everything that's scary to you is so big and outlandish and just you know like you you see it visualized in the first movie really well when um, just when he's coming at the kids and he's like sort of becoming like a werewolf clown mm. with you know the the claws coming out of his out of his gloves um, but other people have kind of tried to take that concept and and do it and it like it works for the medium that they're in like you, you take the bog art from Harry Potter oh right it's like it takes the shape of, you know, what your greatest fear is. But it has a name. It's called a bog art. And there's a magic word to make it go away. And, you know, it, it works for everybody. Everybody knows how to get rid of a bog art. Mm-hmm. You know, it is way more, like, ethereal, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, than that. It, he just, he is fear. Right. And there's, like, nothing you can do about it except yeah. for face it. Yeah. And even when you face it, you got to be ready to face it. Because mm-hmm. if you're not, it's going to get you. Yeah. What yeah. I absolutely love about that particular example yeah. that is that in this modern iteration of it, literally there could be a kid to point and yell Expelliarmus uh, at yeah. him. And it could work. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't think about that until now. Yeah. That's amazing. Imagine. Well, so for you then, Megan, what makes it so scary? <laughs> Um, I fear nothing. So no, <laughs> um, honestly, like if you want to get to the, cause like I have this debate a lot when I go on to, to certain podcasts to talk about horror things because horror much like just art in general is so subjective. Mm-hmm. Something that scares you yeah. isn't necessarily going to scare me. And you know, we could go all around the table and you know, all come up with different answers for what's the scariest thing in the world. And 
my answer might be something that makes you raise an eyebrow and go, mm -hmm. what? You're scared of like spiders or something like that? <laughs> um, but for me, what makes it objectively scary is a combination of factors. Like Stephen King has created himself a very interesting world in which these characters inhabit. And one of the things that makes it scary is the fact that it is an otherworldly cosmic entity mm. bigger than anything our characters can even comprehend. You have characters who look into the deadlights and they immediately become catatonic. Like yeah. you stare, this is Lovecraftian mm -hmm. horror right here in that you look into the face of the abyss and it drives you mad mm -hmm. at best. Um, and so there's like, there's that level of it too. But then there, as, as Nick pointed out, there's sort of the, the customizable horror mm -hmm. where Pennywise just as a character can immediately, much like a middle schooler, know exactly <laughs> what to say yeah. to hurt you. <laughs> it's like the John Mulaney exactly. joke. Exactly. <laughs> say it in exactly like an accurate way. <laughs> exactly. I'm sensitive about. <laughs> My yeah, they, they him. Yes. yeah, they say like only your, only your close family members and relatives can hurt you, but yeah. also middle schoolers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It would be funny if John Mulaney had joined Bill Hader in the oh movie my God. and oh, yeah. he just appeared as an eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so there's that, that customizable thing, so I won't touch on that too much. But I think another level of what makes this monster so terrifying is the sort of metaphorical societal indifference to violence oh, right. against yeah. mm -hmm. vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, that's the whole thing about Derry. Uh, and I, I won't take credit for this, but I've heard from certain, uh, like, YouTube analysts kind mm -hmm. of looking at the, at the movie as a whole or mm -hmm. even the book that it's actually an allegory for being a survivor of certain kinds of assault because mm -hmm. you have that un unlocking of like trauma from mm -hmm. past memories mm -hmm. and repressing those memories and the societal indifference mm -hmm. and this power mm -hmm. dynamic too. The people Pennywise chooses to attack, whether they're minority groups or um, children, they're always people that seem to be at a societal disadvantage. Oh, right. People who are powerless mm -hmm. in their current circumstances. And everybody who does have the power to help, mm -hmm. he has the power to make them turn a blind right. eye to right. everything that's going on in, in Derry so that the cycle of violence can continue over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that's a really scary thing to mm -hmm. me because that's something that happens in our society is mm -hmm. we're so inundated with violence in the world and bombarded by that in like the news that it's so easy for a horrifying act of violence to be forgotten mm -hmm. in like the ma a matter of weeks. Yeah. Right, right. And and you're right. The, the, looking at the characters, you have... A girl who's been abused. You have a black kid, a Jewish kid, a hypochondriac, someone who has who stutters, and someone who um, has intense insecurities. And mm -hmm. those are all representing marginalized people, people who are going to be overlooked, like you said. And that is scary because we mm -hmm. do we do as a society become apathetic to that because we're inundated and we see it so often that. 
which thing am I going to be upset about today? And am I am I going to be what can I uh, put my caring about? <laughs> yeah, caring about today. Yeah. So what about you, Justin? What makes it scary at its core? I think you made what I was going to say <laughs> oh, far sorry. much more <laughs> substantial. So it. it <laughs> I, I just totally agree, and that's a really fascinating way of saying it. I, what I was going to focus on was just a little bit more of, like, the chaos and the injustice of his victims, mm. just on a movie level, not even taking it to the analogy of societal injustice, that it's the children he attacks obviously don't deserve that. The gentleman that he attacks after being bullied at the beginning of uh, It Chapter 2. Like, I wanted to see the group of, you know, four guys get eaten by Pennywise, you know, yeah. but yeah. no, like we get it. We have movie. to watch yeah. the victim of this be a victim again when he's in a weakened state. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about that Pennywise has like no honor or sense of, yeah, justice, like yeah. I was saying, that he just goes after who's easy pickings, you know, yeah. so taking it back to your analogy of societal, who's going to be overlooked, who can be marginalized, who is easiest to get at. And when we look at who victims are today, you know, the men and women that take advantage of people, they're not trying to pick a fair fight. They're not trying to... Mm. um, It's all about that power differential. No. Mm. So, yeah. So just the injustice and the chaos that he goes after children and people that need help and he does the exact opposite Mm -hmm. the interesting detail i'm not sure if they touched on this in either of the movies but um it's an extremely terrible act that wakes pennywise from his sleep and it's usually like every 27 years Mm -hmm. but it's like you know if if pennywise like existed for real he'd be waking up a lot like today (laughs) it's it's like a bookend it's like a big terrible violent event that wakes him up yeah. and sends him off to sleep yeah. at, at the same time. He's mm-hmm. like, cool, I got like lots of food for the winter or whatever. Yeah. It's the, the cosmic evil equivalent of like storing away nuts for the yeah. winter, I guess. Mm. <laughs> he's just a bear. He's just a bear. <laughs> oh, gosh. I do love that none of us said because he's a clown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, you know what? You're right. Um, that is... But I think that's why a lot of people are scared of clowns. I mean, Pennywise and John Wayne Gacy are probably the two reasons why people are scared of clowns. Oh, no. Clowns are just, to me, inherently freaky looking. (laughs) I think (laughs) when you you put that demand on someone or a character that you exist for the purpose of bringing joy and making other people laugh. Right. Maybe it's the skeptic in me that's like, "Mm, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe it's the makeup and the... What are you trying to hide? I know. What's under there, mister? (laughs) Your feet aren't that big. I know. (laughs) So we we did touch already on each of the characters representing someone who suffered in in some way. So without... I mean, let's not get personal, but um, whose story did you connect with the most? And did you prefer... The younger version or the grown-up version? Let's start with you, Justin. Beverly's was the story that I mm-hmm. connected with the most, not so much from my own personal history, mm-hmm. but just because that, if I have to choose one, was the one that made me the most angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think also I felt the same way watching her as an adult and as a kid, which not all of the portrayals made me feel 
the exact same way. Yeah. And so Beverly, both as an adult and as a child, made me want to try to help in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really glad she had other people in her life. And ultimately, I think this movie is about healing in community right. and that we need each other. And I love that. Um, all in all, I think that I was more connected with the story of the kids in chapter one Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I think they're more vulnerable than the adult versions are, even though Mm -hmm. they're still coming back, they're vulnerable. They're not knowing everything that's happening. Memories are coming back, Mm -hmm. but I think it was more compelling to watch children Mm -hmm. fight it than it was for adults for me. So, but Mm -hmm. Beverly's story through and through stuck with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you, Nick? Um, it's pretty easy. Uh, like my wife was like nudging me any, any time, uh, they had a flashback to, to Eddie. Mm -hmm. Just uh, (laughs) because, uh, like I, I don't connect with them in all the same ways, but like, you know, I grew up with the, like a hypochondriac dad and, um, not to the extent of like, uh, like Eddie's mom, Mm -hmm. but, uh, with the Munchausen thing, but, um, like, you know, he would like always point out things to me. It's like, Oh, like, like that's disgusting. Don't don't touch that railing over there. You're like you know how many like kids boogers are on that, and like have been putting their <laughs> mouths on it. And, like you always carry like hand sanitizer in his pocket, and so it's like it still like affects me to this day. I like to keep my hands clean because humans are disgusting. But um, I like to think, yeah, it's everybody else's problem. It's not me. Right. <laughs> no, um, but um, I I I like the the younger. Eddie just because for like the humor mm-hmm. aspect of it I just I, I thought the adult Eddie was pretty funny mm-hmm. uh, he just he just really seemed like a carbon copy of that kid right. I was like did they go in a time machine and I just like get that know. older older version of yeah. that kid they, and bring him back to make this movie the, the casting was excellent the, yeah. the movie's like even aware of it because they have that like slow dissolve from one um, yeah. from one era to the next on his face specifically yeah. it was like the movie was saying look how great our <laughs> casting is yeah. you're welcome audience <laughs> yeah <laughs> and for the, for one I applaud the movie for right. that mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> also you gotta love a fanny pack oh yeah yeah and fanny pack's just great I think he had one of the best lines in the both movies, which was they're casibos. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that line was hilarious. Yeah, he had a really it. good one in this movie too. Uh, well, the the shower scene, oh, so good. The uh, you need to cut your mullet. It's been like thirty years. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. <laughs> I love that. So how about for you, Megan? Um, you know, I really. It's funny because like when I watched the original miniseries, I really didn't feel much for any of the characters mm-hmm. that the first time around mm-hmm. um, kind of looking back on it I, I do have a fondness for the miniseries that I didn't have when I first watched it but um, I've grown to love like all of these characters and sympathize with them in different ways mm-hmm. uh, you know with Ben I, I feel for him for that childhood unrequited love mm-hmm. you know like anybody who had a crush on another kid when they yeah. were growing up can totally identify with his story but Honestly, the thing that um, really sticks with me in in both, and granted, again, I love all of them and I feel for all of them, but I think I feel for Bill the most. Mm -hmm. And that's just, I think because I have such a close relationship with my siblings that the thought of what happened to him and what happened to Georgie, Mm. like forever changing the course of his life, like 
that's something that really sticks with me. And, like, mm. it makes me think, like, what would I do if, like, all of a sudden Pennywise snatched my little brother? Like, mm. that's a terrifying thought, being the older sibling or a younger sibling and having something terrible happen to them that's completely outside of your control. Yeah. And having to live with that for the rest of your life and seeing it tear your family apart. Right. Like that's something that is truly terrifying to me. And so I really felt for him. And luckily I've never had to experience that, but because I love my family, like I can imagine it and mm -hmm. it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. I think the guilt that Pennywise is able to kind of pour onto him is an indicator of how much he's struggling because oh. it re he responds to it and he he reacts to that guilt and that you didn't want to go anyway and yeah, yeah. he feels like it's his fault right well, he's and pretending to be sick and Stephen King does that in yeah. in Stand by Me as well mm -hmm. so there's something there yeah and Stephen King is really good at writing kids right yeah. again Stand by Me is a great example but like that whole scene where it's just Bill walking over to the drain where Georgie was killed mm -hmm. and screaming into it, like, why him out of, mm -hmm. out of everybody in mm -hmm. this town? Why did you take him? And just having that terrible voice whisper back, because you weren't there. Yeah. Is lit in talking about how he had, Pennywise has no honor in, yeah. in any regard. He's just cruel. He's just mm -hmm. a cruel entity. Mm -hmm. Um that literally thrives off of your, your, the worst emotions that people can have. Like that's, that like says a lot, mm -hmm. honestly. And so I, out of the two of them, I thought James McAvoy did an amazing job. Yeah. But um, I mean, all of the choices that the adult actors made were informed by the yeah. choices that the child actors made. And like, literally like that was, I think a brilliant choice. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. they really took those character traits and, you know, really just fast forward those characters 27 years. So I don't think those performances would be as good if like the kids hadn't laid the foundation for those performances. Yeah. That doesn't happen often. It's no. so it's usually kind of younger characters are just the younger character. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's fascinating seeing how distinct those character choices were in part one mm -hmm. and how that carried over to part two. It really does make it feel like a pretty seamless experience. So right. I will give it to the younger version of Bill because again, just <laughs> there's that whole vulnerability aspect. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to concur, like that's the uphill climb mm -hmm. that part two has in all of its incarnations yeah. in the book and in the original miniseries as well. It's harder to, to feel as sympathetic for the adults mm -hmm. because they've lived through this once before mm -hmm. one already and two yeah they're they're not kids they mm -hmm. they're not as vulnerable they they're all capable adults who take care of themselves and they don't have to worry about that power differential in their own lives anymore like yeah they they have their own set of personal problems but Eddie doesn't have to worry about his mom in mm -hmm. the present. He, he has a wife, but like there's not that power dynamic mm -hmm. over him anymore, you know, and, and same with the rest of the characters. Yeah. So I agree. I, I feel for the kids a lot more than yeah. I do the adults. Yeah. Same. I, I, I liked chapter one better and seeing the kids. I thought they were hilarious. I thought they were great 
at, at portraying their roles. I think the character who I most um, just felt for was Beverly. So agreeing with mm-hmm. you, Justin. Um, and, and I think we see that in chapter two, she still is battling her dad and the memory yeah. of her dad because Pennywise shows up again there as her dad. And that is a, a huge fear for her. I think that's the only character who has someone who's actually in their lives show up as their fear. Um, the others don't have a specific person, maybe like the portrait mm-hmm. or that guy who has looks like he has the leper. Yeah, the yeah. leper. But for Beverly, she has her father showing up. And I think in chapter one, what I love about her character is you see that she's struggling to still be a kid in as much as she can, mm-hmm. but it breaks her down. And not not only it, but her father breaks her down to the point where she wants to strip out her femininity and she cuts her hair. And that that's a symbol of it. So what we see there in chapter one, we see it portrayed in a different way in chapter two where now she's in this abusive relationship and she's Mm -hmm. kind of fallen into that um that life you know she is in this abusive relationship and thankfully she's able to get out of it and finally leave but it's as a result of the thing that she hasn't yet yet faced not only it but the trauma of her life and i feel for even though I loved watching the children and the the younger versions, I feel for the adults because they have been away from it and they've forgotten. They have mm-hmm. done what the adults in their lives did, which is ignore the trauma, forget about it, um, and, and they struggle to remember it. And it's I think Mike is the only one who's He's who, the who remembers. He yeah. stays. He remembers. And I think his character is fascinating because of that. He's saying, no, I'm going to keep um, investigating this. I'm going to keep learning about it, and I'm not going to forget, and I'm going to be here to remind you when you forget because you will. Um, So his, as an adult, I think was really interesting. But overall, the story, I think like what you said, Justin, Beverly's, it got me mad, and it wanted, you know, I wanted to protect her Mm -hmm. and to kick her dad right along with her. And um, introduce Pennywise to the father. Right. Just see what happens from there. Right. Oh. So it's funny that you say that. There is actually like an AU fan comic that somebody has made <laughs> where it's like Pennywise actually like starts having a soft spot for the kids <laughs> around Derry. He stops murdering them and he sto- goes instead like, this isn't right. Like, I, I can't starve. A and redemption so story? He, he starts going after the abusers in the Oh, town. wow. Like, it's like Dexter. Yeah, in the I'm bullies. In. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so send me the link. But that's hilarious because when I was a kid, I wrote a redemption story for Freddy Krueger. I think I told you about this. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I want to read that. Yeah, (laughs) I want to find it. But it was that whole like silly idea of seeing this terrifying character be redeemed and then kind of how hilarious that is. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Yeah, so so we need to find that and read it. Um, I I do want to ask just overall, did you enjoy chapter two? I really did. Um, It was funny because the when 
they first announced that like the the film was in production chapter you know one way back in chapter one I was like I don't know guys like Mm -hmm. this is a tall order I don't know if it can happen how are you gonna top Tim Curry I know Uh, well (laughs) no it was just like the miniseries even though I have a fondness for it it's it's got its problems. Yeah. It's got significant problems. I mean, it's not the Langoliers, though. Oh, so. thank God it's not the <laughs> Langoliers. Um, because the Langoliers, yeah, doesn't have the redeeming grace of Tim Curry. Um, <laughs> but, like, ever since they the, like, chapter one came out, which I adored, um, because, again, it did just sort of distill it to the childhood mm-hmm. story. Um, ever since... I've been like, guys, this is going to be an uphill battle because the we don't as, and as adults watching it, we don't have that inherent desire to protect like we do when we're looking at vulnerable kids. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like you said, you want to you want to like jump into the screen and help out mm-hmm. Bev when when she's vulnerable. And like, we don't feel that as much for characters who are adults and can take care of themselves. And so, and because, like, the story of going back and uncovering the past, in my opinion, is less interesting. I'm like, oh, man, you got an uphill battle movie. Like, Mm -hmm. good luck. I hope (laughs) you can do it. And I know that for a lot of people, they felt like part two fell short for Mm -hmm. them. For me, it did not. Mm -hmm. Because I knew it was an uphill battle from the beginning because of all of those things and the movie's aware of it too. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mean to say that like just because a movie's meta automatically makes it good. <laughs> but like the movie knows that one it's a super hard adaptation because it goes bonkers towards the end mm, yeah. with all that cosmic turtle stuff. stuff. <laughs> cosmic turtle <laughs> stuff and the ritual of Chud yeah. and all that stuff. So it's an uphill battle no matter what. I was very pleased with a lot of the decisions that they made. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a perfect movie. Um, certainly not. Like, part one's not a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. But for what they were working with, how aware of the limitations they were dealing with they were. And, like, for for the high expectations set by part one... Honestly, I think they did about as good of a job as they possibly could, Mm -hmm. given all of these limitations. Mm -hmm. And I think they knocked it out of the park and made a very enjoyable movie. Whether or not it's going to scare you, as we talked about, that's subjective. Yeah. Um, I I think it had some intense moments, but I didn't have any nightmares or anything like that. That was the reflection I made to someone else that I had no (laughs) nightmares. There were a couple moments that made me jump, but yeah. I think everyone can agree that the scariest part of that movie is the balloon under the bed where <laughs> Henry's pulling on it. I don't know. <laughs> I hear that but old like, lady. Uh, yeah. And then Paul Bunyan, like when he oh, first yeah. showed up, that scared me. Yeah. Those, those were good jump scare moments. Honestly, I think the scariest moment of the movie, though, the bleacher scene at the baseball game. Yep. Yeah. Oh, poor Vicky. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, poor I Vicky. know. And the way that he... Sucks her in just yep. by saying, you know, that they make fun of me. Because how I look. He takes know. advantage right. of because her right. kindness. Yeah. She is so good. She did not deserve it. Yeah. No. Right. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I still, I think the kid that got it worse, even more than the losers, was the kid that they keep running into for some reason. 
the a, the little blonde the, kid, the skateboard kid, the skateboard kid. Uh, assuming like, he was there at all. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was like oh. Bill Hader She's grabs doing him. Spirit fingers. Yeah, like Bill Hader <laughs> grabs him and yells at him. He's like, "I'm not afraid of you." And then like the next day, James McAvoy comes up to him and he's like, "You get out of this town right now." <laughs> and then like he, he's like, he's like, "These adults are freaking me out. I'm yeah. gonna go to the carnival." Goes to the carnival, goes into the to the fun house, and he turns around. He's like, "Oh my gosh, it's that guy from yesterday." And then he starts coming after him, and then he's stuck between this scary clown and this adult, and he's just like, what's happening? <laughs> scary adult man. Yeah. <laughs> That's then, like a bad day. Yeah, that, no, that, kid, kid. Ha- that kid got it worse than the losers. Again, yeah. Yeah. this is assuming that that kid was even there, because yeah. there is there is a fan theory going around that that kid wasn't real, that that mm-hmm. kid was just an image conjured by Pennywise, specifically to tap into Bill's sense of guilt. Yeah. And granted, because like, he did run into that amusement park attraction uh, right after that kid, and then that kid gets brutally murdered in there. Like, you think <laughs> Bill's going to be the subject of a major investigation into but, the homicide yes. of that kid? But by the way, I want to see the I want to see a deleted scene comment. where I want to see a deleted scene where uh, it shows you know Pennywise kills and eats the kid, and uh, James McAvoy's like, ah, oh, dang it. And then he has to find his way out. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, because he was like, but now he's wiping away yeah. tears in addition to the mirror. Yeah, uh, he's like, where do I go? Banging into the windows all over again. Yeah, like, if we're wondering great. about like the time difference from the scene where that kid gets eaten to, um, you know, when Mike and everybody get like get attacked by Henry Bowers, like yeah. the reason there's a long time frame in between <laughs> those two things is because James McAvoy is just really trying very, very He's hard stuck. to find his way out of that hole. And then everyone coming toward him. Uh, don't go that way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was clean nice up an aisle too. If yeah. it was a real kid, it was very nice of Pennywise to clean up the crime scene. Yeah. <laughs> this I could just sit back and listen to you, t- you three, just go on and. <laughs> Him being trapped in the funhouse—that's <laughs> <laughs> the director's cut. I hope. <laughs> uh, that's. I mean, that's why the movie was going to be four hours. Yeah, like, which right. like that's. I feel like uh, it was a really, really good move to split up that story right. into two movies because one, I don't, I don't think we get, and this happens when you watch the miniseries. It's like you don't really get that connection with the kids because you keep jumping back and forth mm-hmm. so much, mm-hmm. and the the book does that, but you know, a book is different. But when you, in the movie, you, you spend a whole bunch of time with those kids, and then when they're adults, sure, like, there's something lost there because it's not actually those kids, mm-hmm. but there's still something there where you still feel connected somewhat to those, right. to those people. And, yeah, like, but I still can't wait for, like, the super cut where it's just all Oh, that. yeah. And yeah. Ple- just keep deleting all the uh, remember this stuff. That, that's th- one of the only gripes I have with Chapter 2 is how they keep going when it shows the zombie under the bed and then it cuts back to remember he was this guy and you're like well, <laughs> you're like of course I, I recognize him yeah. I watched this movie right before like yeah. I watched part one right before I watched part two there's there's just some <laughs> things like that throughout the movie where it's like remember this it's like yeah it wasn't that like, long ago my <laughs> knife and you're like yeah yeah, see it <laughs> knife that same knife I use killed dad with <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, yeah. since we're all, I, I, think those are, I think those are nitpicks, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. Overall, it, it, it is. Like, uh, those are 
the only <laughs> things I have against that movie is just the like little reminders that I didn't need. Yeah, yeah. any moment that like takes you out of the experience where mm-hmm. you're like, okay, you're holding my hand. I don't need you yeah. to hold yeah. my hand. I am along for the yeah. ride, my dudes. Come yeah. on, get my to the dudes. murder clown stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all laughing about oh, a horror film, yeah. which leads me to my next question, really, because it's, I think, what Stephen King does so well um, and that he seamlessly blends horror with comedy which leaves us as the reader or the viewer not sure what to expect next. Is it going to be a punchline? Is it going mm-hmm. to be a punch in the face? Uh, what is it going to be? So how do you feel the film balanced the horror with the comedy? Let's start with you, Justin. Bill Hader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just nailed it. Yeah. Um, so I think that horror and comedy have a lot in common mm-hmm. with a buildup to a release, whether it is mm-hmm. a punchline or a jump scare. So you're in tension and you're ready to release one way or another. You're ready to release with laughter or with screams. Yeah. And so I think a movie like this is really well served with keeping you on the edge of your seat and not being sure if you're going to laugh or scream next. Yeah. Um, there were a couple moments that I think... I wanted to stay scared longer Mm. and it Mm. made me laugh a little earlier than I wanted to, but I laughed more in this movie than I expected to. And I loved it. And a lot of it for me was Bill Hader and Mm. his performance and his just genuine hilariousness of him being him. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I I was super fascinated by it and I thought Bill Hader in particular uh, did a great job. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Nick? Um, I, I thought it balanced horror and comedy pretty pretty darn well mm-hmm. um i think the only time it tipped a little too far towards the comedy uh was the um uh what was the the dog the little <laughs> the pomeranian, the pomeranian. Like, oh, it's I, really cute it's, it's like i i like that scene um just in the midst of everything that's going on i was like okay we're leaning just a little too far this way because to me it felt like a tim burton scene because <laughs> i feel like it even turned into like a tim burton-esque like creature yeah. <laughs> zombie dog yeah, yeah. um but that that was the only time I felt like, you know, this is this is a little too funny. I might have shaved this down, but like, I don't know how you could have made that movie with Bill Hader and gone like, well, we got to cut out a little more Bill Hader because <laughs> right. just like everything was gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you making? Oh, oh sorry. sorry. I was no. just gonna say like oh, I feel like ahead. Stephen King um, uh, taps into something that I uh, a lot of writers maybe in the in the same genre kind of miss out on, and then that that's um, sometimes in like terrifying events you can see humor in mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Whether you're looking back at it or sometimes in the moment, like, you know, there's people that like their response to fear or something scary is to laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just I remember um, my when my brother was in middle school, there was one day he just decided on a whim to instead of taking the bus home, he was going to walk home and he's never walked home before. <laughs> and he got lost and we didn't know where he was for at least five hours. Oh my God. And so like darkness had fallen and everything. And so like my mom was a wreck. My dad was like on the phone with like school and everything, trying to figure out where he went. And so I was just like, I'm just going to go out and look for him. And then uh, I ended up driving, you know, toward where his school was. And, um, you know, it's, it's dark. I'm just like kind of scanning and trying not to get in a car accident. And, I see um, like this kid walking with a roller backpack, like with his like head hung low and like shoulders slumped, <laughs> like Charlie Brown. Oh my like God. I could hear the music, you know. Dun, 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 dun. 
and it was my brother. And like my response to like seeing that image was, and like I saw it, I, I knew it was him. Like I'm full of all this anxiety and terror, but I laughed because <laughs> like there's, there was humor in the, you know, right. in front of me in the midst <laughs> of this scary event. And like, I, King does that a lot, mm-hmm. like in his, in his books. And sometimes like something so awful will be happening to someone and from the character's perspective, they'll see, like, like, uh, like a clown in the in in the window or something, mm-hmm. and like they they laugh in mm-hmm. in their head and before they're gone or something like that. Right. But, Even in the midst of maybe in the middle of killing somebody or chopping off a piece of their body, they think of a time they cut into a juicy steak, and yeah. it's like, what? Yeah. Why is that coming to the into the character's mind right now? Yeah. But but King does that. He pulls you out in the same way that when we we get distracted, we're in the middle of something and we get distracted by something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And and his characters do that. And it's so I don't want to say relatable yeah. in the like, oh, yeah, that time I was chopping off someone's like yeah. ankles, <laughs> you know, um, but just the idea of getting distracted in the middle of something so not funny. Yeah, it's not necessarily relatable, but it's real mm-hmm. like it that happens like when you hear about traumatic events in people's lives and right. the, like the things they think about mm-hmm. as they think that death is coming or pain is coming. Right. Um, but yeah, like when uh, Eddie gets stabbed in the face by, by Henry <laughs> and he's just like, why did you do that? And then like <laughs> Henry starts like laughing and then in turn makes Henry start laughing. He's like, uh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just things like that. I'm glad they had, moments like that in the movie because that's just so like essentially a king thing yeah. and like I'm, I'm glad that um, the director and the writers could like recognize that and yeah. like those moments are needed in these Stephen King adaptations mm-hmm. what about you Megan um, again you know it's kind of subjective I, I understand the the critique from a lot of people who thought that it was too funny mm-hmm. but in my mm-hmm. opinion I'm like, I prefer, like, horror comedies are my favorite type mm-hmm. of horror movie, <laughs> very much because, like, they are very similar responses. Right. And um, there is something very inherently human about laughing in the face of fear as a as a way to cope. And that's something that the characters do quite a bit in the book and in both iterations, the, the miniseries and the films. Humor is kind of a cornerstone of these characters and one of the things that draws them together mm-hmm. and one of the things that helps them deal with the fear of this terrifying cosmic murder clown. Um, and so for, for me... What I was pleasantly surprised by, because again, I had lower expectations for chapter two because of all of these limitations. I thought comedy was a great route for this film to go with. Being intentionally funny is a lot better of a look than being unintentionally funny, which Mm -hmm. a lot of people will argue that chunks of the miniseries were unintentionally right. funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, Especially watching it now. Because exactly. I, I hadn't seen it since... I saw it when I was a kid, and then I saw it again maybe a few years ago. And, of course, I had forgotten everything. Like the kids from Derry. So... <laughs> you need to go back. But, right. <laughs> watching it again, I'm like, oh, this is... What is this? And having read the book, you see all the gaps in there. I felt like at least with this adaptation, they made it clearer that 
who, who Pennywise or who it was. Yeah. And um, so, and like, I mean, come on. Clowns want to make you laugh, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's doing his job. Yeah. Um, or at the very least, clowns want to entertain. Um, and I found that the use of humor was, in fact, very entertaining. What Again, that ties back into whether or not you find it is scary or effective or maybe emotionally unfulfilling, having all of these laughs in there. Again, I think it's, I thought it was a good move considering the uphill climb that this movie had had going against it. It sounded like the bar was super low for you that they just kind of <laughs> just jumped over it easily. No, not not really because the the competence my expectations for chapter 1 were really low. Um mm. because again, it's such a hard adaptation. Yeah. Um and then when chapter 1 was so spectacular, I was like I felt bad that they then had to do chapter 2, but because of the competence that was displayed in chapter one. Like I did measure my expectations, but at the same time, I'm like, I also kind of have faith in them to be able Mm -hmm. to pull it off. Yeah. Well, I want to get (laughs) deuce. You want to get deuce. I want to get deuce. I think think it's time to get super dark now. I'm going to ask it feeds on human fear by appearing as what its prey fears most. So what would it look like if you were its prey, Nick? Uh, you saw it. It's in the movie. It's <laughs> the uh, clown. No, no, well, that, but um, when uh, Eddie goes down into the basement oh. of the drugstore and there's all those, like, dirty needles and, like, oh, nasty yeah. congealed uh, blood packs and the leper on the chain, it's, yeah, that's... And the tongue. Yeah, the tongue thing and the, ah, yeah. <laughs> That's, like, just nasty. Like, I'm, I'm already freaked out by, like, uh, medical equipment and, like, hospitals and stuff. So mm-hmm. to, to be in an area that's just like that but also, like, rusted over and, mm. like, dirty is, would just be awful for yeah. me. Yeah. Oh. All but, right. What about you, Justin? Mine is also in the movie. So I'd say um, Ben's relationship with fear is Mm. kind of the closest thing that I could imagine with just kind of being unaccepted or unloved or Mm. not so much specifically from a crush, but just that rejection of relationship of Mm -hmm. people that um, I want to be close to. Especially, again, when he doesn't deserve it. He tries so hard. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. Um, but it tells him, you'll never be enough. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll always be, you know, enter whatever that is. You know, mm-hmm. whatever that is that makes you feel unacceptable, unlovable. Um, that feeling of never being enough mm-hmm. would kind of mm-hmm. be, yeah, mm. the biggest thing. That yeah. is scary. I think he says... Uh, you can do all those sit-ups, but you'll still be that little oh. fat boy inside. Yeah. And then he slams the door shut, and it's just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah my, my my wife leaned over to me, and she goes, "Why is he, why is everyone so mean to him?" <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> okay, what what would be, how would it, hmm. it appear for you, Megan? 
Because hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what he would actually appear as that would scare and not delight me. Because we're <laughs> we're moving into September and October. Oh and, yeah, uh, into the Halloween season where I willingly pay money to have people jump out and yeah. go boo at me. Um, <laughs> honestly, pr- <sighs> maybe if you caught me at a different day, like I'd feel differently. But I honestly feel like Pennywise would appear to me as an email from Nelnet saying that my <laughs> monthly student loan payment has gone up considerably. Mm, <laughs> like, honestly, I that's might, probably a lot of people. Yeah, I might change mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would cripple me. Oh, <laughs> Pennywise wow. would not have to try harder than just boom, sending it's an email. It's just an email. Mm. <laughs> You can make all that money, but you'll never pay off your student debt. (laughs) Oh, Oh, that is terrifying. I don't know if I could top that, Um, but I'm going to try. The first thing that came to my mind, because of course now as you're talking, I'm like, oh yeah, that could be my fear too. Maybe not the germs thing, but but, uh, the definitely you know, being completely rejected. The first thing that came to my mind though, is if I had to sit and watch my children be hurt, that would be the scariest thing. Mm -hmm. I've had nightmares of that. Not many, but when I do, I can't sleep. My heart's racing. I want to throw up. I go check on them and you know, there's mouth open. (sighs) They're (laughs) totally asleep. Poke them in the face a few times. Yeah. I'm like, okay, (laughs) you're, you're, you're safe. So that's probably, that would be my my it would yeah. be chil- yeah. my children getting hurt. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty in line with like something he would do. He, he oh, would, yeah. yeah. He's a total jerk like that. <laughs> um, I mean, like absolutely, seeing like family members get mm-hmm. in yeah. danger mm-hmm. is is definitely something that I think everybody can identify with right. for sure. Mm-hmm. So th- then I think I think in a sense it was portrayed in the guilt felt so that that thing of letting someone you love be harmed. So yeah, I guess it was, I didn't even think about that. I guess it was represented. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. So, you know, something speaking of fear, both, both films have moments where the losers say that they're not scared of Pennywise. Why do you think, what do you think the significance was in those interactions? We'll start with you, Megan. Ooh, significance as in for the characters as a turning point or... You could go any way with that. Mm, (laughs) Blue sky. I think it's significant in that... I I always appreciate and and this is this has been a very common thing in sci-fi and fantasy. Um, I think since the 60s, since like A Wrinkle in Time came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have authors like King, who I think is very influential in this regard, and Terry Pratchett and um, you know, people like that who they write a lot about the power of belief mm-hmm. where it's not necessarily that this thing already exists and people happen to believe in it. It's more like people believing in something manifests this thing into being, whether that's, um, you know, gods like in the, in Discworld and things like that, or if it's in the form of like, uh, like, like it's presented in this movie where it's like your belief in something can hurt 
this cosmic entity that is chosen to take form mm-hmm. um, because it is dealing with this otherworldly stuff. So I think it's significant for the kids because it is their coming of age story confronting the thing that is looking to take advantage of them while you know while it perceives them as vulnerable and defenseless it is the moment where they turn from children into sadly adults um because it is kind of like the death of their innocence even though it is their innocence and childlike wonder that allows them to believe themselves possible of defeating this monster Mm. whereas for the moment where the adults then have to recapture that. I mean, that's why Mike enacts his plan in the way that he does, is he ha- he's convinced he has to lie to his friends so that their belief in the ability of the ritual to defeat Pennywise will be enough. And adults have a little bit harder of a time Believing in otherworldly things mm. than kids do. They need like, a gazebo. <laughs> <laughs> they were gazebos, yeah. Mike, um, which was really cool. I love that was a great callback. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and it, there is a disconnect when you're you know you stop believing in Santa Claus, you stop believing in the Tooth stop Fairy. oh i'm sorry are there children listening my apologies why are they listening to a podcast about a rated r movie um i saw that's not my my, at my screening there were at least at the very least 10 very small children there and i was confused yeah very confused (laughs) and i never heard like any crying or anything. (laughs) They're like, this is weak. Yeah, weak. (laughs) Give me some Rob Zombie. (laughs) I I always laugh when I see um, parents with their kids at Horror Nights. I'm like, okay, those kids are braver than I was when I was their age. Um, But like, as an adult, you've lost that. There's that disconnect. So because you only really believe in the intangible, in the 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 tangible tangible stuff Mm -hmm. as an adult, like it is a further leap of faith. Mm. The adults are oddly at more of a disadvantage as adults than they were when they were kids, Mm -hmm. which again, instinctually, we believe it to be the other way around because kids are more vulnerable. We've talked about that a lot. Um, But I think it's the moment where the moment where they say that they're not afraid of him is them recapturing that not necessarily so that they can believe in like you know uh the contents of eddie's inhaler turning into battery acid or or that like they believe in santa claus or anything like that it's more that their belief and faith in one another gives them the strength to overcome this monster and that's why it's significant Mm. it's not in the belief of like this, this gun is loaded, and if I shoot it at you, it's gonna work. Like it's that worked when they were kids, but it's their faith in each other as adults that ultimately allows them to win the the day. And I think that's I think both are significant. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Justin? I feel like them saying that they aren't afraid of him, they're not afraid of it, is kind of not entirely true i i'm i think of it as courage like action in the midst of fear yeah Mm -hmm. and that that's 
a symbol of their healing mm-hmm. that, you know, you take any one of their stories, any of the things that they need to recover from, that they are deciding to look back at those painful memories, at those painful experiences and pull them into the present and into their consciousness, choosing to remember it and choosing to deal with it. That if they allow it to only scare them, to only put them in a corner, to only ruin the rest of their life, um, they give it a lot of power. But by confronting, you know, whether it is the painful experiences in the past or the space, the space clown that is a spider, um, <laughs> when they confront it together, it becomes smaller, mm. whether yeah. it's the pain or the thing itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just declaring that it's not what it says it is. Mm-hmm. It's not as big as it says it is. It's not as mm-hmm. scary as it says it is. We can take you together. And so just going back to this movie I think is about therapy, not necessarily just a one-on-one <laughs> relationship yeah. with a therapist, yeah. but like having friends, family, a community that you can actually do life with yeah, and explore the darkness and the pain that we all go through and heal from it and not only try to keep it in the darkness where it'll keep you down, but mm-hmm. to actually go there and realize yeah, this is bad, but it's not as bad as I thought it was. Right. Mm-hmm. And and you're bringing up a, an excellent point. The idea of through them being together, it makes it smaller. And really, that's what it is great at doing is causing division, dividing them, separating mm-hmm. them and attacking them in that way yep. when they're alone yep. with their greatest fear. Mm-hmm. But gosh, what a, a beautiful example. I mean, it's scary, but but it's true that that's what we need, you know, when we're separated, our fears are going to be bigger and we can tackle them a little easier with community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think? It's Nick? many hands make light work. Yeah. Only the emotional yeah. equivalent of that. Yeah. And as cliche as, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but okay. as cliche it is, as it is to say now, like at the time, I don't, I don't think it was as much, but like the power of friendship really yeah. is a, a, powerful and incredible thing. It's a Care Bear stare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Nick? <laughs> thinking about Care Bears now. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Megan was saying, um, the there's saying that they're not afraid of something and then there's like acting it out. Like there are times um, in the first movie where they're saying, you know, like, we're not afraid of you, but they're, like, deeply terrified, mm-hmm. and he's able to hurt them. Um, but then there's times where they act out their fearlessness, where they've had enough, and they've decided to push back at him, and they, w- like, mortally wound him to the point where he almost dies. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's really, I think, is a powerful thing to display because, like, you, we can... We can say all we want, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, um, but still feel deeply terrified. It's like, you gotta, you have to prove it. You need to push through that fear. And like, in the case of the loser, losers, they literally do, and like, uh, <laughs> jab a fence post through his head. Um, <laughs> and in the, in the, in chapter two, um, you know, they, they hurl all, all of those 
insults at him to make him smaller. It's mm-hmm. like, you're just a clown. You're just a mummy. You're just a, you know, uh, I forget what, what else they call him. What does Beverly call him? Does she say you're just a... Cotton-headed ninny muggy. A feeble old woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, it, you know, it makes him smaller. Mm-hmm. It makes that pain smaller, that mm-hmm. trauma smaller. And, like, I, I love that they had, that they, they all kind of grab uh, the heart of that fear together. Mm-hmm. And, like, they, they didn't just, like, see it and then somebody, like, stomped on it or anything. They, some, uh, who picks it up? Is it Mike that picks it up? Uh, he pulls the heart out. Yeah. Yeah. He picks Mike. it up and then, like, you know, kind of su- says, like, we all need to do this. Mm-hmm. We all need to be the ones that, that finish this off right. for good. Um, and then, like, you know, that, that proves it. It's like they've, they've overcome their fears. They're not going to let uh, what happened to them define them and they're mm-hmm. going to push on. But they're, n- th- the change that I like that they did for the movies that they don't forget. I believe at the end of the book, they slowly start to forget right. they do. what right. happened, mm. um, which I'm glad they changed that for the movie because that just makes the point hit home so much better. Right. And I think in both movies, I really, I love whenever you see an example of that, yeah. that you can identify the thing that you're scared about, the trauma maybe that you've experienced, identify it, call it by name, and then yeah. you shrink it with, uh, you know, saying that you're not scared of it, you're not going to let it, you know, define you anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they did a really good job with at the end of chapter two is that you see them get their strength mm-hmm. together, but you see them really telling it that that he has no place there anymore, that yeah. he doesn't have any power over them. They've stripped, they've stripped him of his power Mm -hmm. and you see him literally shrink. Yeah. And that is such a powerful example for people who need that reminder that, that you can use your words and use, you know, the way that you think about what you're facing to shrink it, to diminish it and put it in its proper place Mm -hmm. and context. So I really appreciated that they ended the film that way and we got to see that. And then they, that they remember. Yeah. In, in a, in a way, the, at the end of the first movie, it's, it's almost like they, they're stuffing it down deep inside Mm -hmm. themselves. And like, that's, I mean, you can you can read it either way. It's like, yay, they defeated him, but like it's, and it, repressed. Yeah, right. it's like, like <laughs> I've locked it away, and I'm not thinking about right. it anymore. What what clown? And, but in the, and yeah, the second movie is like they really like get up close to it, right? And like like to the point where they're literally like holding it right. by its heart. Right. I, <laughs> I I like it's kind of like what Richie says in the movie. Um, you're braver than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what the whole climax of the movie is about is, you know, believing in yourself and being able to overcome your fear in that regard. Um, there are actually a couple of theories as to why they remember at the end of this movie and don't remember at the end of the, or start to forget mm-hmm. at the end of the book and in the original miniseries. Mm-hmm. In, there's a theory that in the book and in the miniseries, Pennywise isn't actually dead. Um, because the there's a, a passage in the book that talks about how the the cosmic spider that that shows up at the end 
has a bunch of eggs. Oh, right. oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So well, they they crush them, but it's like an alien type scenario where like they they crush all the eggs and they're like, like, we did it, we killed all the eggs. And probably then, like, <laughs> it zooms in on one. You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's and, the Nemo. And yeah. even though even though they don't do the eggs in the miniseries, like you do have Tim Curry's laugh at the very end there, mm-hmm. which you could interpret at. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what was that? You, that was my watch. Oh. <laughs> so, yes. so your watch is concurring that yes, uh, Pennywise yes, girl. is still alive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can interpret that as you know there is something left of Pennywise, which is why they leave Derry and they immediately start to forget again, indicating that the the cycle is going to continue. And in other Stephen King books that take place after it, and granted, there might be a little multiverse shenanigans stuff going on, but like (laughs) Pennywise makes little cameo appearances here and there, um, or at least there are little winks and nods to him. Yeah, Um, I could add a little fuel to that. Um, At Towards the end of Dreamcatcher, mm-hmm. when uh, they the characters head into Derry, there's a sign at the top of a hill that says uh, that has all the losers' names on it, and um, they it's like dedicated to all the lives that have been lost mm-hmm. in Derry, and spray painted across all of it uh, is Pennywise lives. Yep. Which I felt could have been done a little more subtle, but <laughs> like, sure. What does that mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pennywise was just like, losers suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares, losers. Um, but the <laughs> but I guess he felt like he couldn't take credit for that then. Yeah. He had to put his name on it. Pennywise winner. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all these losers. Um, but I, I think the implication then, um, the difference, the way that this movie separates itself from the iterations that came before is that like there is no wink and nod oh the evil's still alive no Mm. they really defeated him there's it's unambiguous yeah I love that so Pennywise lose (laughs) Pennywise lose (laughs) Pennywise lose Well, that is our Dig Deeper. Thank you so much. Remind us again, Megan, where can we find you? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Manguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I do lots of stuff. Just <laughs> you do, follow you me do all the Twitter. things. And Nick, where can we maybe not find you? Yeah, again, you probably won't <laughs> be able to find me. But uh, <laughs> you can um, see things that I work on, and you'll see Sandra in them, too, if you go to reasons.org. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for digging deeper and hit chapter two. Well, that's it for today's show. Special thanks again to Megan and Nick for joining us. Stay tuned all October for more horror content, including next week's episode on Brightburn. Be sure to subscribe to your preferred podcast provider. Make sure you don't miss any upcoming shows. And you might want to subscribe to our brand new channel, The Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus. That's right. We don't just talk horror. We're going to be talking Disney. It's an entirely new channel dedicated to sci-fi, fantasy, and comic book stories that appear on Disney+. Plus. I'm super stoked about this because we'll let you know what we'll be talking about. And if you're a Disney Plus subscriber, you can watch and discuss with us. It's going to be awesome. For more info, look for the Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus on your preferred podcast provider. And don't forget to subscribe. We are going to start recording our aftercast. So if you join us for that as well, We'll be digging in deeper to what we're looking forward to seeing 
with Stephen King, some of his other works coming out either in film or in television. Get more information on our Aftercast and all other content over at thestorygeeks.com. Thank you for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to these amazing people who help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon. Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jeremy and Kimberly Lejeau, Julian Armstrong, Monty Thigpen, Nathan Miller, Nick Prokop, Ray DeLeon, Sean R. Reed, Theme Park Pulse, and Wade Johnson. To gain access to our Aftercast and unlock more Patreon rewards, or just to support the show, head over to thestorygeeks.com for more information.